Have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer? You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one-on-one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Happy end of summer, everybody. It is so good to be joining you again. Thanks for bearing with me these past couple of weeks when I have been offline because I went on vacation. And then, of course, I didn't go on vacation for two weeks, unfortunately. But right before you go on vacation, you're crazy busy trying to wrap up all your projects so you can totally check out and relax for your five days or what have you. In my case, it was five days. And then when you come back, you're swamped with work. So I feel like, you know, as essential as vacations are, I'm often much more depleted uh, at the end of the whole shebang than I was at the start. Um, that being said, they're a rejuvenating time. It's a time to create memories. So very important. But I must say that I was super stressed out before and I find myself super stressed out after. Uh, I'm working late every night. I'm working long hours every day, wrapping up everything and getting everyone ready for back to school. And I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about your kids. I'm getting their rooms redone. I'm taking advantage of the last minute summer sales for people's patios. Things are busy, but not too busy to answer your questions. So I'm so glad that you've been writing in with all sorts of wonderful queries. So I'm going to dive in right now. And speaking of diving into questions, keep them coming. I would love to answer your questions at Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. Of course, on our Facebook page, Affordable Interior Design, and anywhere else you would like to post a question. Uh, What else do I want to say about that? There's something that came to mind. Oh, well, it's all a blur. And speaking of, I do have a question or no, more of a comment. Amy, you are right. When you have young kids, it is not a vacation. It's a trip. That being said, my kids are getting old enough that they're pretty self-sufficient. So they'll wake up in the morning at 8 a.m., whether we're on vacation or not, and toddle into the living room, put on their Netflix shows, pour their own cereal, eat unhealthy granola bars, um, and leave us alone until like 10 a.m. So it still somewhat felt like a vacation. We did have to do a lot of kid-oriented stuff, but luckily my husband and I are kids at heart. So we went to Wildwood, New Jersey, and we played skee-ball, and we 
um, went to the splash zone. And in the mornings, I would kind of sneak away for an hour or two and go to the beach and just get really zen and get a donut on the boardwalk and watch the dolphins. There are dolphins in New Jersey. I'm probably really... um, uneducated, but I had no idea that you could watch dolphins in in New Jersey. Um, And you mentioned, Amy, that you're wondering what my favorite source is for seasonal wreaths. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't. It is so bugging me. All the Halloween stuff, the fall stuff, the even back to school, I can't really take it. I'm truly in denial that summer is over, but fine, Amy, you want to know, and I will tell you... I don't typically do a lot of seasonal decor in terms of wreaths because most of my clients are in the city and they can't have stuff on their front doors in apartment buildings. But I do like Michael's. I do like places like Grandin Road or Front Gate. I think that they do seasonal decor really well. I think Pottery Barn has really lovely and sometimes uh, sophisticated seasonal decor. And those can be an oxymoron, seasonal decor and sophisticated, especially sometimes at places like Michael's. But I'm okay with cheese if it's around holidays. Um, Williams-Sonoma Home has lovely seasonal decor. So that would be my favorite place for wreaths. I hope that helped. All right, let me get back into this mailbag here because we have pressing questions. And the first one came from Tina. Tina writes, hi, Betsy. I love your show. You gave me some great advice when we moved into our house three and a half years ago. And now I have a couple of new questions. The house is a tri-level built in 1974. We purchased it from a flipper. They did a bunch of subpar finishes. One of those finishes was the kitchen wall cabinets. They are fine quality cabinets. They're supposed to be mounted about 54 inches off the ground, according to the internet. But they mounted these cabinets 62 inches above the ground. That means because I am also only 62 inches tall, I cannot reach most of the items in any given cabinet without a step stool. And I, as well as any other person under 5'7", can see the ugly underside of the cabinets without even trying. This brings me to two of my questions. First of all, if we were to do a tile backsplash, which I do think would look nice, how high should it go? Doesn't a backsplash usually go to the bottom of the cabinets? That would be almost two feet of tile, which does seem like a lot. Does the backsplash wrap around the whole kitchen wherever there's a counter? Secondly, have you ever dealt with this sort of issue? Can the cabinets be moved down without destroying them? We are realistically going to be in this house for another three to four years, and I don't know if I can take it if the cabinets are all so far above my reach. The last question for now is about molding. Our house is pretty typical. Well, you know what? Let me wait, Tina. Let me answer this first thing since the molding is a true departure. Um, So you are planning on reselling. And yes, those cabinets are freakishly high. And that means that anyone who purchases space, anyone who's looking to buy, will notice that the cabinets are high. Kitchen is one of those places that people are looking at very critically. Kitchens and bathrooms, they're looking at very critically because, of course, they don't want to have to go to the expense of redoing them, and they're going to be using them all the time. I think you're going to run into this problem with future homeowners, and I think that it's going to significantly impact your resale value. I think you should lower those cabinets. That being said, I don't have a picture here, so I can't see how lowering them would impact other things like, say, ceiling trim. If they do go all the way to the ceiling, sometimes there's a molding that connects to the ceiling that could make it more complicated. 
But I think it would definitely be worth exploring, not only for your peace of mind and your ease of use, but also for someone in the future who will be paying top dollar for your beautiful space with normally placed cabinets. Now that you know that you're definitely going to lower those cabinets, the next question was about the backsplash. And yes, you should do a backsplash. And yes, the backsplash should go from the countertop all the way to the cabinet. Um, unless there's a piece of trim that connects the countertop to the wall, in which case it would be from the top of that trim all the way to the cabinet. You don't want to leave a gap. Now, if you did have a really large space between the countertop and the cabinet, in other words, if you are not going to lower the cabinets, or if you find that it's prohibitively expensive or difficult to lower those cabinets, you would still do a backsplash all the way from the countertop up to the cabinet, but the thing that you would change is the size of the tile. So you'd want to make sure not to do teeny tiny tiles because it would look frenetic and it would look like a ton of tile. Rather, you would do mid-sized tiles or even slightly larger tiles that would make it feel like it wasn't as frenetic, like there's not so many grout lines and pattern changes. Um, additionally, you wouldn't want to draw someone's eye to the freaky nature of the height or the um, disproportionately large amount of Backsplash, so I would do something that's not too eye-catching. Don't do something in red. Don't do something in a loud pattern. Do something that's somewhat more subtle, more conservative. Maybe something that ends in a straight line, like stacks of subway tile. So when the next person decides to come and move those cabinets, they can just cut the tile versus having to do something really tricky with, say, a herringbone pattern or something, in which case cutting it could be more complicated. So I hope that helped. And uh, your very last question about this particular topic was, should it go everywhere where there is countertop? And yes, indeed, it should go everywhere that there is countertop. And because you're doing a larger format tile for your backsplash, not doing something small like a mosaic, then I might be inclined, even if there's wall, to do some tile on the wall. For instance, in my kitchen, I have... Um, expanses of wall that are somewhat connected to those countertops and I did the whole wall from floor to ceiling in that tile and people come in and they're like wow this is really cool it looks like a bold statement and it's quite affordable I got my tiles at Home Depot uh, let me get to your next question which was about molding Betsy, my last question for now is about molding. Our house is pretty typical, a 1970s layout, but I would like to add molding around the windows or at least the sills rather than just plaster that there is now. And the doorways between them that don't currently have trim on them. Would that be weird? There are baseboards and molding on the door frames that have doors, i.e. the bedrooms, bathrooms, and not the closet. Thank you so much, Tina. Well, this flipper, I have questions for them because they must have not read my book or looked at too many manuals because it does seem that they skipped some steps. So I would not put trim around the door frames that lead from one room to another but that don't actually have doors. I would call those openings more than door frames. And I would not put trim around those because it is not a traditional home. It's from the 1970s. If it were something like pre-war, if it had chunky moldings everywhere I may be more inclined to do that but then you also have to add a piece of wood on the interior well you don't have to but 
it could look nice. It looks more complete. And that's just opening a can of worms. So anyway, where there's not a door, anyway, where it's just an opening, I would not put the trim. But around the windows, I do think trim would help to complete the look. And I do think you should put it there. If you have standard size baseboards, in other words, four inches or less, make sure that you don't do a window trim that exceeds that height or width as it were because you don't want the window trim to be more prominent than the baseboard trim you want the baseboard trim to be more prominent than the trim around the windows and so i think that answered the question good well thanks for writing in tina and thanks for being a fan and now it's time for a quick commercial break I have a question that has come in from Amy. She writes, Betsy, I am preparing my house for sale. I have dated golden oak cabinets with hideous leaf-shaped hardware that definitely needs replacing. Do you have a go-to simple hardware style that you would recommend as classic? It's a 1970s ranch house in the rural suburbs with some earthy touches like natural stone fireplace and travertine tile kitchen floor. Should I go with brushed nickel? Okay, so... You definitely need to change out that hardware. I love shopping at Cool Knobs. Cool Handles and Knobs? Yes. Cool or Cool Knobs and Handles. Cool Handles and Knobs or Cool Knobs and Handles.com because you can narrow your search by diameter. You can narrow your search by the whole size. So I can't get a sense from you if it's a handle which is like a U shape and you put your hand inside, or if it's a knob, which is typically a round or small shape that you just pull on to open the door. I can't get a sense from you which one it is, but um, you should replace it because the leaf thing is not good. Do I have a common style? Well, I like something fairly simplistic. I don't like it to be ornate. I don't like curly cues. I don't like any leaf imagery or really any imagery in my hardware. I also don't like those really ubiquitous bars, right? That they have those kind of cylindrical tubing bars that have the two bars that fit into the cabinet. And I don't like anything too basic. I don't want it to look like it came from the 99 cents section at Home Depot. So I do want it to have a touch, but I want it to be um, fairly standard. And I also replicate the diameter. Oh, you mentioned, oh, the handles are installed on a diagonal. Amy, you've got to lead with this because that is freakish and horrible. Oh, goodness. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, Amy? I have a couple of thoughts. So the handles are installed in a diagonal, and that is really weird, and I'm not sure what to do about that. And the problem is that it is a handle, so it has two holes versus a knob, which only has one hole, which you can do something about. Since it's a wood finish, if you putty that hole, it's going to show. Now, one option that you could do, because the dated oak is not a great look anyway, is you could putty those holes and paint the cabinetry. You cannot putty the holes if you're going to keep it the wood tone because you'll see the putty hole because it obviously won't have a wood grain. But if you're going to take them off and paint them anyway, well, putty those crazy diagonal holes and then you can get any hardware that you like. Most of us in the kitchen have stainless steel, whether it's the refrigerator or the sink, but I don't use that stainless steel finish to determine the finish of the fixtures or the handles. 
Rather, I look at the architecture of the home. So what are your doorknobs? What are your hinges? What are um, other architectural details that happen to feature metals? And then I work off of that to choose what the finish for the handles will be. So for instance, if I've got brushed nickel curtain rods, if I've got brushed nickel doorknobs, well then I'm going to do brushed nickel for my kitchen handles. But if I have bronze knobs and bronze hinges, then I'm going to do bronze finish handles even though I have silver stainless steel appliances in my kitchen. So I hope that helped and I am so sorry to hear about that diagonal because oh, the next question comes from Brooke and Brooke has written, hi Betsy, thanks for all the information in the premium member podcasts. I have a question. I finally found a color that makes my house happy. It's Benjamin Moore sleigh bells. I would call it a silver gray, but it has a definite blue to it, just not baby blue. On my walls, it's a pretty calm color. I would love to know if this color could be a whole house color. It's a lighter version of of Horizon, and I want to put it in the halls. My house is a ranch, so everything is pretty open except for the bedrooms, bath, and office. Is it okay to have navy leaning towards peacock, but not quite powder blue and terracotta as my color scheme? Or do navy and powder blue count as one color? Terracotta is only in the old rugs I've inherited, but I wouldn't want it anywhere else. Totally off topic, but if anybody watches The Handmaid's Tale, I'm wondering if they are decorating in the blue of the show. That's where my blue is coming from. I call it Serena Blue. Thank you, Brooke. All right, Brooke, I do have thoughts about this. Um, So I looked up silver or sleigh bells, excuse me. I looked up sleigh bells um, and I do think it has too much of a tinge of blue to be an all over color. It really does read blue. Now it's icy, it's cool, and I'm not completely opposed to it, but it's going to inform that whole open area. So I would rather you lean towards Horizon, which really doesn't have that tinge of blue and feels like that mellow gray. Uh, That will be more um, adaptable should you change your design style or want to change those accent colors. Now, I don't mind you combining um, the navy with the powder blue. Those are two distinct colors and it is leaning pretty blue or pretty cool in terms of creating your color palette. So I'm really glad to hear that you're going to add terracotta as your third color because whenever I have two cool colors in a palette, I always think about my third accent color, my 60-30-10, that other accent color being something that is warm to offset all that coolness. Or... Conversely, if I have two warm colors, I make sure that my third color is that cool tone so that there's some balance so that it doesn't feel overly cold or overly hot in my space. Uh, And I do not watch The Hate's Tale. I tried one episode. I was so depressed that I was like, I need some comic relief. And I turned on my favorite, Roast Battles. Is anybody else super into roast battles? I just think that this should be more of a phenomenon. I feel like there should be more episodes. I really can't get enough of roast battles, and there's really not that many out there. Anyway, uh, so I'm not getting your Serena Blue reference, Brooke, but I'm sure many of our listeners will, and I am so glad for your question. Let's get to my very last question of the day. 
And uh, let's see who it's from. It is from Natalie. Natalie writes, Betsy, my question is about duvet covers. Where do you recommend getting duvet covers? I would like a nice blush color. I've seen some at West Elm that I like, but I'm not sure if they're good quality because there aren't any reviews. I've never owned a duvet. Should I purchase the duvet from the same place that I get the duvet cover from? I've read some reviews about the covers not fitting the duvet properly. I love your book and your podcast. Thank you, Natalie. All right, so I do not get my duvet covers and the inserts, which are often called the duvet or the comforter, from the same location. I like to get my comforter from different places. I like Overstock a whole lot because they have a wide range of comforters. Additionally, they have um, lightweight comforters, cool comforters, which don't get kind of as suffocatingly hot as your standard down comforter. They just have a really great selection and have zillions of reviews. So they have like one comforter insert that has thousands of five-star reviews. The other place I like to go is um, Macy's. They have really great inserts. And I like um, the company store. They have beautiful, comfortable, luxurious bedding. Uh, In terms of the actual cover, I don't think that the quality has to be that amazing. This is something that you're going to wash much more regularly than you will the comforter. This is something that you're going to swap out much more regularly because you'll want to change it because after many, many washings, it will look dingy. The thing that I look for when I'm choosing a duvet cover is I look for something with a texture. Because if it's flat, if it's that beautiful blush color, but it has no texture, it's going to look wrinkly every time you pull it out of the dryer. Every time you put it on your bed, you're going to see every wrinkle, every crease, and it's going to look craptastic. So I prefer the duvet covers that have a pin tuck or a ruching or even a waffle type texture. There's lots of great textures, but basically if I crunch it with my hand, this is how you can test it in the store because you're not going to put it in your dryer in the store. But if you crunch it with your hand, just like like that, just crunching, then um, if you release and it shows the wrinkles, it's not the duvet for you because who has time to iron their duvet cover? Uh, That being said, I think West Elm has lovely textured duvet covers and a few that are in blush. I think Pier 1 has beautiful options. Anthropology is, of course, pricier, but they have a lot of blush textured options right now. Uh, I think Macy's has high-quality duvet covers, but I can't think of any that are blush in my favorite collection of theirs, which is the Hotel Collection. Um, There was somebody else that came to mind. Oh! You know who I do like? I like Overstock because they have an amazing variety of textured duvet covers that come in different solids. So I know you'll probably find 20 blush duvet covers and textures that will have those reviews you're looking for and they're amazing price points. So you're only going to lose 80 bucks if you try it and hate it. And uh, plus they have an amazing returns policy. So if you do try it and hate it, you can return it for free. I hope that helped. And guys, it has been such a pleasure talking to you again. I love chatting with you. I love fielding these questions. So keep them coming. And I will catch you next week. Bye. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. 
If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.